0: The Writings of Isaac Pennington, Volume 2, Chapter 2 Some Stumbling Blocks Removed Out of the Way of the Simple-Hearted The Father, in whom is the whole virtue and power of redemption, sent his Son to gather the scattered and lost sheep of the house of Israel, and not only so, but he gave him also for a light to the Gentiles and salvation to the ends of the earth. And the Father who sent him to preach the gospel anointed him, and filled him with his spirit, that he might preach the gospel according to that scripture, Isaiah 61, 1-3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of our Lord, and to comfort all that mourn, etc. Question. But how did these meek, these broken-hearted, these captives, these bound in prison, these mourners, come to meet with the redemption and blessings which Christ preached to them? Or which way did they come to receive and partake of these blessings from Him? Answer. In faith. This is what all his outward healings did signify, being dispensed according to faith. He said, If you will believe, you shall see the glory of God, or your faith has made you whole, or, O woman, great is your faith, or be it unto you according to your faith, etc. And in this same way, all his inward healings are bestowed upon and received by the soul that is, in the faith. Question. But how did they come to have faith? Or how does any man have faith in the redeeming power? Answer. It is bestowed upon them by God, in the sense which is from Him. His word goes forth from His mouth, and there is a witness of Him in the heart. Now, in reaching to the witness, the word immediately brings into a true sense, and in that sense begets faith. And so this word, being mixed with faith, which is of its own begetting, in them that hear it, begins the work of life and redemption in that heart where it is not yet begun, or carries it on in that heart wherein it is already begun. Thus faith has a work. A work from the beginning of the heart's turning to God even to the end, and he that abides in the faith till the end finds the work accomplished. Objection. But this faith is bestowed on only a few whom God has elected and not on all men. Answer. God has sent his gospel to be preached to every creature, and his word is able to reach the witness and work this sense or awareness, in every creature, and in whomsoever there is a sense wrought, as they listen to God in that sense, God works faith in them, and waiting on the word, hearkening to the word, and staying their minds there on the Lord, he will speak peace to them, and keep them in peace, daily removing them more and more out of the reach and power of that which troubles them. Question. Does the New Covenant lay all upon God and require nothing of the creature, or is there something required by God of the creature in the New Covenant? Answer. Consider well, in the New Covenant God requires of the creature what he also gives. Does he not require the faith and the exercising of that faith? which he himself works and gives from the power and demonstration of his truth to the soul? The new covenant requires more of the creature than the old ever did. But it requires it not of the creature as he is weak in the fallen state, but as he has taught, strengthened, and enabled to walk with God in and by the power of the covenant. Indeed, all manner of holiness and righteousness of heart, life, and conduct is required in and by the new covenant. For even as the Lord works out all things in the creature, so the creature works out all thereby in the Lord, according to that well-known scripture, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And though the creature is able to do nothing that is good of itself, Yet being grown up into the life and ability which is of God, he is able to do all things through Christ that strengthens him. Question. But why is it said that Christ was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, the meek, the brokenhearted, the captives, the bound in prison, and the mourners? Did not God give his Son in love to all? Was he not made a ransom and propitiation for all? was he not anointed to preach the gospel to all? Why is it then here limited and restrained to some? Answer. It is true, God has a general regard for all mankind in the gift and anointing of his Son. Even so, there are some who are in a better capacity to receive, that is, those already in a sense of the lack of him, and panting and longing after him. Indeed, There are some who are so grievously sick in soul and deeply wounded in spirit, who, in the sadness and misery of their condition, cry aloud for the help of the physician. Now the eye and heart of the Lord is more especially towards these, and so he bids his prophets to be instructing and comforting these concerning the salvation, the healing, the oil of gladness, and the Messiah to come. And when he came, he was sent up and down to seek these out to keep company with them, to help and relieve them, having been given the tongue of the learned to speak a word in season to these weary, distressed ones. These are not like the common, rough, unhewn, knotty, rugged earth, but are like earth prepared for the seed, and so they easily and naturally receive it. The gospel is indeed preached to others at a distance, which, it is true, they may receive if they will hearken to it and wait for it and part with what must be parted with first. But such as these have a great distance to travel. However, the weak, the desperate, mourning, captives, etc., these are near the kingdom, near that which opens and lets in life. These are quickly reached, melted, and brought into the sense in which, with joy, they receive the faith, and with the faith, the power also, which brings righteousness and salvation to their souls. Though it is true that the enemy is exceedingly busy with these also, to darken, disturb, and bow them down, that he might still keep them in the doubts, fears, chains, and fetters in the prison house, away from the liberty and healing which the word of the anointing brings. Now, mind, God is real towards all. He desires the life and salvation of all, and not the destruction of any one soul that he ever created. It is unnatural to him, and in the way that he holds forth his salvation, he stands ready to meet any man. Who is it that he does not draw? And who is it that may not come in the drawing? Is not his word a hammer? And who can it not break? Is it not a fire? And whose corruption can it not burn up? Is it not water, wine, and blood? And who can it not wash and nourish? Therefore, let no man think to lay the blame upon God because of their perishing. For in this he will be deceived, and God will prove true. For God has said, Man's destruction is of himself. And so every man is a liar who lays any blame on him for not giving further assistance with his power. Neither let man blame God for hardening him, for God hardens no man except for him who first refuses and grieves the power and love which would melt and soften him. It is true, we are the clay and God is the potter, and may not the potter make what vessels he will of his clay? This parable came from the Spirit of the Lord to Israel of old. But what use did the Lord make of it? Did he say to them, Do whatever you will. Some of you I will cast off, and to others of you I will show mercy, for I have determined it so. No, not so. But rather, I have this power over you, therefore do not provoke me. Read Jeremiah 18. Was not God exceedingly tender to his outward people in the outward covenant? Did he ever give them up to pain and sufferings without great provocations on their parts? He does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. And the Spirit of the Lord never failed to do what was his part in turning them from iniquity towards the Lord in that covenant. There is something that now springs up in my heart, which may perhaps open this thing further to the minds of some. Cain was the first wicked man that we read of, and yet how tender was God towards him, even he that sacrificed not after the spirit but after the flesh and slew his brother Abel. Now, can any man lay Cain's wickedness either upon the will or upon the decree and counsel of God? Might he not have done well? Might he not have sacrificed to God in the faith, as well as his brother Abel? And if he had done well, and offered in the faith, would he not have found forgiveness and acceptance with the Lord? God accepts no man's person. God rejects no man's person. But there is a seed he has chosen. And to gather man into this seed is his delight and his work. And it is the delight, nature, and work of the other spirit, To scatter men away from this seed. Now, it is in this seed that he does accept, and not out of it. Yes, in this seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed, as they are gathered into and abide in it. And this seed is a word near in the mouth and heart, both of Jew and Gentile. And when it is hearkened to, this seed writes the law of the spirit of life in the heart of both Jew and Gentile. And as they become sons, so the spirit of the Father is poured out upon them, even the spirit of adoption which cries, Abba, Father, in both Jew and Gentile. Now, the Lord's mercy endures forever towards the seed of the righteous, and his justice and indignation forever towards the seed of the evildoer. And man, simply considered, is not either of these, but only as he is gathered into and brought forth in the root and spirit of either of these. Now every man has a day for the life of his soul, and power and mercy is near him, to help him to travel from death to life, and happy is he who is taught of God to make use of it. Concerning election and reprobation. And let men not puzzle themselves about the mystery of election and reprobation, which cannot be understood by those that are outside of the thing wherein it is made manifest. Let me say only this at present. Pharaoh and Israel, Esau and Jacob, Ishmael and Isaac, etc., these were parables signifying something inward. What was Pharaoh? Was he not the oppressor of God's Israel? What was Esau? Was he not the first birth, which sold the birthright and inheritance? What was Ishmael? Was he not the birth after the flesh? These are rejected, and cast off by God forever, and the spiritual Israel, the spiritual Jacob, the spiritual Isaac, are accepted. Shall I speak of this thing yet more plainly? It is not the creature which is rejected by its maker but something in the creature, and the creature in that thing. Nor is it the creature, simply, which is elected, but something in the creature, and the creature in that thing. Now, as any man comes into that thing, that is, Christ the Chosen One, the election is begun in him. And as any man abides in that, he abides in the election. And as that thing is made sure to any man, his calling and election are made sure to him. But as any man departs from that, he departs from the election into the reprobation. And if he goes on in that, into the full impenitency and hardness, he will forever miss the election. Thus, the reprobation and a sealing up in condemnation will be made sure to him. For God is no respecter of persons. But everywhere, he that receives his holy seed, and therein works righteousness, is accepted of him. And he that receives the wicked seed, and therein works wickedness and unrighteousness, is with that seed rejected. Objection. But I thought man and his works had been wholly excluded by the covenant of grace. But this seems to take both into consideration. Answer. Man is wholly excluded from the covenant of grace as in himself, as he stands in himself and in his own ability, apart from the newness of life and ability which is of the new covenant. But he is not excluded as he is renewed and receives a new being, a new life, virtue, and ability in the new covenant. Here much is required of him, And whatever he does in this new life is owned, acknowledged, and accepted by God. Here the true Jew has praise of God. Romans 2.29 He is commended for his faith, and for his obedience in the faith. He is commended for loving the Lord his God with all his heart, and his neighbor as himself, and for washing his garment in the blood of the Lamb, and keeping them clean in the same blood, while others defile theirs. He is commended for his merciful nature and actions to Christ and his members, while others are rough and cruel, and for his watching against snares and temptations, while others are running into them. Yes, and for his denying and turning from all ungodliness and worldly lusts, even of the flesh, eyes, and pride of life, all of which are not of the Father, but of the Spirit of the world. So that, Mark well, Though man is excluded in his corrupt nature and state, yet not the new man, not man in the regeneration, but man must be regenerated, and thus must enter into the covenant of life, and abide and be found in the covenant of life, in the nature, in the righteousness, in the holiness, and in the power thereof, if ever God will own him. Now, The difference in every man is by the grace, and not of himself. For he can do nothing that is good, as of himself, but only by the grace, which alone is able to work that which is good in him, and to cause him to work in it. Thus, as the grace reaches to him, draws him, giving life and causing him, in the virtue, life, and obedience that comes from the grace, to answer the grace, so does the work of grace go on in him. So there is condemnation to him who does not answer the grace, and there is justification and praise to him who does answer the grace. Yet this whole ability arises not from himself, but from the grace. And therefore, they who are justified, sanctified, and crowned by the grace, do rightly cast their crowns at the feet of the Lamb at the throne of grace, giving honor and glory to him who is worthy, and to his grace which has wrought all in them. Now, if any man would know this thing truly and certainly, let him not run into disputes of the mind and brain, but come to a heart experience. Have you ever found the work of God's grace in your heart? Have you found your heart at any time? believing and obeying in and through the strength of grace? Have you found your heart at another time negligent or rebellious against the grace? When you were rebellious, were you not condemned? And when you did believe and obey, to whom did the honor belong, to you or to the grace? Can you answer this? Well, as it is in you so is the case between godly and wicked men. As there was a difference between when you obeyed the grace and when you disobeyed it, so is the difference between the unregenerate and the regenerate man. When you did not obey, that which called for obedience condemned you, so it does them. And when you obeyed, you did sensibly feel the praise was not yours, but rather belonged to the grace which wrought in you, So it is also in the regenerate man, in whom the Lord works by his grace and who works out his salvation through him, making his calling and election sure. Leave your brain knowledge and come to a true sense where the mysteries of God are made manifest, and this will soon be easy and clear to you. But these things were never intended by God to be found out by man's disputing wisdom. For God who gives the knowledge, hides them from that part, and gives them to the innocent, simple birth of his own spirit. Objection. But when the Father draws, can any man resist or hold off? Does not the power of the Lord make any man willing, towards whom he exercises his power? Answer. The power of the Lord is great, and has dominion over all evil spirits that contempt, and over all the corruption, backsliding, and withdrawing of the heart. But the Father does not save man by such an absolute act of his power. Rather, the power of the Lord works in and according to the way that he is appointed. And in this way the devil has liberty and power to tempt from, oppose, and resist the word of God. And they that hearken to him, and enter into the temptation and snare which he lays, let his power in upon them, and withdraw from the virtue, operation, and strength of the power of God. Yet for all this, the Lord not only begins his work in man, but also carries it on in the day of his power, giving not only to will, but also to do, what is right and pleasing in his eyes. But still, this is in and according to his own way and covenant. Objection. If God put forth his power to save, and the devil interrupts and stops his work, then it seems that the devil is stronger than God. Is the devil stronger than God? If he is not, how can he resist and withstand him in the work of his power? Answer. No, the devil is not stronger than God, though he is very strong. But if the heart lets in the enemy, grieves the spirit beats back his power in the way wherein it is appointed to work, then the devil may be more prevalent with him than the power of God. But in those that believe and become obedient and subject to the power of God, his power is far stronger in them to defend and carry on his work than the power of the devil is to work against and hinder it. There are objections also relating to free will and falling from grace, which stick much in the spirits of many, and they cannot get over them. But it has pleased the Lord to clear up these things to us, and to satisfy our hearts concerning them, so that with us there is no difficulty or doubt about them. With regard to free will, we know from God that man in his fallen state is spiritually dead, and has no free will to do good, but his understanding and will are both darkened and captivated by the enemy. However, in Christ there is freedom, and in his word there is power and life. And when this reaches to the heart and loosens the chains of the enemy, it begets not only a freedom of mind towards good, but an inclination, desire, and breathing after it. Thus the Father draws, and thus the soul, feeling the drawing, answers in some measure. And the soul, coming to him in this way, is welcomed by Christ and accepted of the Father. But for all this, the enemy will tempt this soul, and the soul may hearken to, let in, and enter into the temptation, and so draw back from the plow to which it put its hand. Now if any man draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him, says the Lord. And he that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven." So concerning falling away, the Lord shows us what it is that is apt to fall and what it is that cannot fall. Christ cannot fall, and that which is gathered into him and stands and abides in him, so partaking of his preservation, cannot fall. There is no breaking in upon that power which preserves in the way that it is appointed. But there is a running and perishing out of the way. Outside the limits of the covenant, the preservation and power of the covenant is not witnessed. But in coming to Christ in the drawings of the Father, in the sense and faith which he begets, in abiding with the one that drew him, in the sense and faith which he daily and freshly begets anew, for he renews covenant and mercy daily, and keeps covenant and mercy forever, in this is the power and preservation felt." In this the Father's hand encompasses the soul, out of which none can pluck it. Now, he that feels and experiences these things every day, that sees and feels daily how it is that he can fall, and how he cannot fall, how he meets with the preservation, how he misses the preservation, how he abides in the pure power, which is the boundaries of this holy covenant, and how he wanders out from this power, into the boundaries of another covenant, spirit and power, this one knows these things indeed. But other men, who are not experienced in the thing itself, can only guess at them, striving to comprehend them in that part which God has shut out of them. Now mind this parable, with which I shall conclude. Though the natural and outwardly visible sun be risen ever so high upon the earth... Yet he that is naturally blind cannot see it, nor partake of its light. So also, though the spiritual sun, the sun of righteousness, the sun of the inward world, be risen ever so high, and appear brightly in ever so many clouds, yet they that are spiritually blind cannot discern it, nor reap the benefits of his light, nor partake of the healing which is under his wings." an exhortation to the desolate and distressed. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the life arisen, and now the light shines to guide out of the darkness and death into the land of the living. O awake, you that sleep in the dust of the earth, arise up from among the dead, and Christ shall give you light to walk along in the path of the living. Come to him whom the Father has sealed, to him who is life, and who gives life freely to all that come. Yes, he gives abundantly to those that wait upon him and walk faithfully in his covenant. Oh, therefore, come into covenant with him. Mind the words of his lips, which beget a true sense, and in that sense his life stirs. And in the stirrings of his life, the drawings of the Father are felt. Hearken to the little movings and stirrings in you after that which is eternal. For he will not quench any desire which is truly after him. It is his nature to cherish it. And people, mind this, it is a true testimony. The door of life is now so opened by him who has the key and power, that whoever will may enter. And as for you afflicted mourners, who are seeking the way to Zion, bewailing the absence of your beloved in whose presence is life and redemption, resurrection from the dead, and victory over sin, what shall I say to you? Hear the joyful news. The apostasy is ended. Now, I do not say the apostasy is generally ended. No, no, there are many woes, plagues, judgments, and terrible thunders to come upon persons and nations before they feel it ended but it is ended in some vessels which are upon the earth. The man of sin, the wicked one, the son of perdition, has been discovered by the Spirit of the Lord. He has been chased, consumed, and destroyed by the breath of his mouth and by the brightness of his appearance in some. Yes, the church has come out of the wilderness, and the man-child is come along with her. For she is not come without her beloved, but rather leaning upon her beloved. And he is known to her as the one who rules with the golden scepter, and with his iron rod that batters down the corrupt, selfish, stubborn, earthly spirit, and raises up that which is meek, tender, lowly, bowed down, and oppressed. Now, as Christ said, when preaching in the days of his flesh, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears, Luke 4.21. Was it not then fulfilled outwardly among the outward Jews? Were there any sick, or weak, or blind, or lame, or lepers, or possessed with devils, whom Christ was not ready to cure? And did he not go about doing good, and seeking them out to cure them? Even so it is now in the spirit and power of the Lord among the spiritual Jews. This day is the scripture spiritually fulfilled in your ears. Yes, what he did then outwardly is known in spirit to be done among you inwardly and spiritually. How many that were before blind do now see? How many that were before deaf do now hear? Those who were formerly lame do now walk, and the leprous are now cleansed, the dead are now raised, the dumb do now speak, and the poor, the empty, the naked, are now clothed and filled with the riches and treasures of the everlasting kingdom. May it not be truly said, by many poor, distressed hearts, that the wilderness and solitary place is now glad, and that which once was parched with drought and barrenness, now feels the living springs, and the breaking forth of the pure, clear river of life, the streams of which make glad the city of God. Indeed, some may now say, Where now is the envious, cruel, dragon-like nature? Is there not a new creation? Is there not a new heaven and a new earth? And are not all things become new therein? Are not the old things of the night and of the darkness passed away? And all things become new in this day which the Lord has made, in the hearts which have received and been subject to his light? And now, what hinders you from lifting up your heads, and seeing the coming of the Son of Man in the clouds wherein he comes, and partaking of the redemption, virtue, and power of his appearance? What are the clouds wherein he comes? Is his coming outward, or are the clouds outward? Or is his coming inward and spiritual in ten thousand of his saints jude one fourteen did not Enoch see that he was to come in this way to judge the world? Does he not come to be glorified in his saints second thessalonians one ten are not they to judge the world they in him and he in them? O oh, read aright, read with the spirit and with his understanding then the truth of the letter will be manifest and shine in you. There is nothing that stands in your way but the lack of a spiritual eye to see his spiritual appearance in others and so to wait for it in yourselves. Even the eye of faith, which, as the Lord opens it, sees the invisible power and glory. Now, this I have to say to you in true sense and understanding. Come down to the Gentile's light. Come down to that which God has dispensed to the Gentile as well as to the Jew, which is the word or commandment near, in the mouth and heart. This word has been the lowest of all, despised by all, and yet it is in the heart of God to exalt over all, for it is above all. This is that which man ran from in the garden when the veil came over him. It is this which all the shadows of the law were to point out and signify. And as man is brought again to this, life springs in him, and the powerful redemption of the eternal word is witnessed by him. Yes, he that hears the voice of this, though he were ever so dead in trespass and sins, shall feel life spring in him and the covenant of life inwardly revealed. And this is the one truth, the one pure eternal word and way to the Father, which was from the beginning, and remains the same unto the end. This is the one and only door at which all have entered into life, at which all do still enter, and there is no other. Blessed forever is he who has made it so manifest and plain in this our day, and blessed are they that see it, and enter into life at it. A Visit of Tender and Upright Love The main thing in true religion is to receive a seed of life from God, whereby the mind may be changed and the heart made able to understand the mysteries of His kingdom, and to see and walk in the way of life. And this is the travail of the souls of the righteous, that they may abide grow up and walk with the Lord in this seed, and that others also, who breathe after Him, may be gathered into and feel the virtue of the same seed. But there is one that stands in the way to hinder this work of the Lord, who, with great subtlety, strives to keep souls in captivity and to prejudice them against the precious living appearances of the redeeming power of the Lord." One great way whereby he does this is by raising up in them a fear lest they should be deceived and betrayed, and then, instead of obtaining more, they lose the little of God which they have. With this fear I was exercised a long while. When life stirred in my heart, then this fear was raised in me, so that I dared not believe what I felt to be of God even though it had a true touch of his quickening, warming, convincing, enlivening virtue in it. Now, that this snare may be escaped by those who breathe after the Lord, O let them wait, mourn, and cry to him, that he would write his pure fear in their hearts, and teach them when to fear, how to fear, and what to fear. And as this is brought forth in them, they shall see that they have more cause to fear their present state than to fear that which, in the life-giving warmth and virtue of God, comes to make a change in their present state. Yes, then they shall see how the enemy does cause them to fear where there is nothing to fear, and keeps them from fearing that which all men should fear. And this indeed is the great thing that they should fear, that they should not hear the call of the Spirit of the Lord out of Babylon, and that they should not hear and mind the call of His Spirit unto Zion, the holy mount of God, towards which He leads His people in this day of the revelation and manifestation of His glorious love and power. Oh, therefore, my friends, you that long after the Lord, you that desire to feel the power of His truth, Wait for the seed of life from Him to be revealed in you. Wait for the pure fear which is from the seed, that you may feel the Lord writing His fear, His pure, holy, preserving fear, in your hearts, so that you may know the way to Him, and come and join to Him in the seed, and never depart from Him. The fear of the Lord arising from the seed of His life will, without fail, Affect this in you as you receive it from the Lord. But the other fear, the fear which the enemy begets, will not do it, but will be an obstacle in your way, till the Lord, by his holy power, removes it from you. And now, answer me one question uprightly, as in God's sight. Are you come to Zion? Or are you at least traveling there rightly and truly? Have you ever known any of the travelers with whom you have been acquainted that could, in truth, say that they were come to Zion? The Christians in the primitive times were come to Zion, and they were acquainted and dwelt with God and Christ there. These knew Jerusalem, the heavenly building, the city of the living God. Oh, where are you? Have you yet come out of Babylon?" Do you yet know the wilderness and the intricate passages therein, through which God alone can lead the soul? Oh, depart! Depart from your present place, in the leadings of God's Spirit. Unless you can say, in the true and unerring light, that you are at your rest, your soul's true rest, even the everlasting kingdom which cannot be shaken, which the primitive Christians received, and into which they found entrance. And friends, let me tell you one thing further, for my heart is at this moment opened to you by the Lord. As the soul, in its travels, comes to Zion, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus is witnessed, which makes free from the law of sin and death. And then, there is no more such a crying out because of the body of sin as there was before, but rather a blessing of Him who has delivered, and daily does deliver from it. Yes, the body of sin is known and felt to be put off, and Christ put on in its stead. For, my friends, there are several states witnessed by the soul in its true and sensible travels towards the Holy Land. As for instance, number 1. There is a state of Egyptian darkness and bondage in which the power of death reigns and rules in the heart, subjecting it to sin and death. Here the soul is in the grave, and under the death, captivity, and bondage, even in the midst of all its professions of religion and talk of God and Christ, and reading scriptures, and observing ordinances and duties. Number 2. There is a wilderness state, wherein the strength of captivity is somewhat broken, And the heart drawn to mind the leadings of life, and to follow after the Lord through the trials, through the preparations, through the several exercises which the Lord sees good to exercise it with. Here the mercy and goodness of the Lord is experienced, and also the deceitfulness and treachery of the heart. This is the place of humiliation and breaking wherein the soul daily feels how unwilling and unaccustomed it is to the yoke, which must break the spirit and subdue it to God. Here the Lord shows the soul what its heart is, that he might humble it and do it good in the latter end. Here the very law of God appears weak because of the strength of the flesh, which is not yet subdued. Now, here is the morning and the groaning and the crying to the Lord night and day, both because of the violence and multitude of the enemies and because of the rebellion, distrust, and unbelief in the heart. Number 3. There is a state of rest, a state of peace, a state of life, a state of power, a state of grace, a state of dominion in the life and through the power of the Lord, wherein the law of life is manifested in dominion in the heart over the law of sin and death. There is an everlasting kingdom, wherein God and Christ reign, in which God treads Satan down under the feet of the soul and makes the soul a king and a priest in the son of his love, and the soul feels that it is one with and accepted in the Beloved. Now, friends, My earnest desire is that you may know this kingdom, travel faithfully towards it, feel and come into the reign of Christ in it, sit down in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus and inherit substance. Oh, that you would know the gathering to Christ in the name and sit down in the name where the enemy cannot touch you but where you feel the preservation and powerful life and dominion of that seed which is over the enemy, and wherein, and whereby, the Lord scatters the enemy, bruising the serpent's head. And that you may know the precious and glorious building of life in the Spirit, even of the holy house and city of God, where the walls are salvation and the gates praise. For to this end it is in my heart from the Lord to write these things unto you, And may the Lord God of mercy open the door of entrance to you into these things. For there is but one door of life, and there is not another. Which door is Christ, the seed? This seed is revealed within, there to break the wisdom, strength, and head of the serpent. And as far as he breaks it, there and no further, true redemption and freedom are witnessed. O that you might receive an understanding from the Lord, and be taught by Him to deny and part with the understanding which is not of Him, and that you might see things from Him and in His light, which you have not yet seen. And O that you knew, sensibly knew, what must live and what must die in you, that you might feel the rising of your souls out of the grave through the immortal seed of God, and the bringing of all your wisdom and knowledge, even of the things of God, into death. Concerning Ordinances Now, the great matter you seem to have against us with respect to ordinances is about the baptism of water and the breaking of outward bread and drinking outward wine. Concerning this, I have two or three weighty inquiries to be seriously considered. Inquiry number one. Were these things themselves the things of the kingdom? Or were these representations of something relating to the kingdom, as the shadows were under the law? And so, even though they might have had a use and service in the passing away from the law, yet should they have an absolute place in the gospel day? For as the day dawns and breaks, the shadows fly away. What should the shadow do when that which the shadow signified has come? What place is there for shadows in the substance, in the everlasting kingdom? Now, though the Apostle Paul condescended so as to circumcise for the sake of the Jews, yet outward circumcision was not to abide. He condescended also as to John's baptism, that is, the baptism of water, for this was not Christ's baptism, his being that of the Holy Spirit and fire. Even so, the apostle blessed God that he did not make use of it and said he was not sent to baptize. What was he not sent to baptize with? Why, not with water, not with John's baptism. But he was sent to baptize with Christ's baptism, that is, to baptize into the name, into the spirit, into the power, as so were all the apostles as well as to preach the gospel, Galatians 3, 5, Matthew twenty eight nineteen. Then, as for the outward supper, was it not a shadow of the true substantial supper of the Lord? Did it not outwardly signify the breaking of the true bread and drinking of the true wine, the fruit of the vine of life, in the kingdom of God? Was not this kingdom at hand in John's time? And the disciples of Christ were to pray it might come? And did not the apostles witness it come, those who were in the power, life, righteousness, and joy eternal? For, mark, the promise was not only of a kingdom of glory hereafter, when the body is laid down, but rather they were to receive the kingdom and feel an entrance, even an abundant entrance, into the everlasting kingdom ministered to them even then. They were to eat bread in the kingdom and drink wine in the kingdom, even new bread and new wine fresh from the table of the Lord. Indeed, they were to eat with the Lord in his presence according to the promise that he would come and dwell in them and walk in them and sup with them and they with him. And thus they in their day and we in our day, blessed be the name of the Lord God, eat and drink of the heavenly bread and wine of the kingdom with Christ. Inquiry number two: Have not these outward things been much abused, and the anti-Christian spirit appeared in them and magnified them? And surely, when magnified by that spirit, they are neither of nor for Christ. And consider well what that outward court was which God gave to the Gentiles. See Revelation eleven two and what the worship and ordinances of the outward court were. And so consider whether they are required by the Lord of the inward Jews, who are of the circumcision in the heart, and are come to inherit the substance. Inquiry number three. Whether there is any virtue in these things in themselves without God's requiring them. Can outward water wash the soul? can outward bread and wine, feed or refresh it. Indeed, if God requires a man to wash his body with water, he ought to be subject, and there will be profit to him in his subjection. But of itself, it is only a bodily exercise. And without God's requiring it, it would be but will-worship and profit him nothing at all. Now truly, the Lord never did require this of us but rather has shown us the true water with which our souls and bodies have need to be washed, and the bread and wine with which they are fed and refreshed. And, in following the Lord, according as He has led us and required of us, we have found reconciliation, life, rest, peace and joy with our Father, and pure refreshment from Him. Inquiry number four. With regard to duties— These are the two great duties we are taught. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and spirit, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And these we learn by believing in Him whom God sent and receiving the seed of life from Him. In the growth of this seed in us, we live and are made one with Him and are partakers of the ability which is of Him. For not by working of ourselves do we attain to this, but by the working of His powerful life in us, through His mercy to us. He circumcises us, He cuts off the enmity, He brings under the old nature and spirit in us, and then the new springs up and we are renewed in it. And in this we learn and are made able to love the Lord, and His children, and His creatures, yes, all that is of Him, And this love constrains us to obey the Lord and deny all for Him so that we can suffer anything through His strength except for sin, corruption, unbelief, and disobedience to Him. Yes, this makes us so tender towards Him that we would rather part with this entire world than lose the integrity and subjection of our spirits to Him in the least thing that He requires of us, His truth and our testimony thereto in every respect is far dearer to us than our own lives and all the enjoyments and pleasures of this present world. From these two great duties flow many others towards God, such as to fear Him with the fear which we are not taught by the precepts of men, but which He writes in our hearts, to wait upon Him night and day in His temple, even in the holy place of His building to call upon Him in the motion, guidance, will, and help of His Spirit. For indeed, when once we learn of God, we are taught to pray no more after the flesh, no more after the will, wisdom, or way of man. Also, to be sensible of His goodness and give thanks to Him in every condition. And in this we feel His presence and acceptance, as the Lord is not forgotten by us. For when we eat and drink, walk abroad, or stay at home, We feel Him near, and our hearts acknowledge Him, bow to Him, wait upon Him, bless Him, and praise His name. We also speak words concerning Him, or to Him, with the outward voice, whenever He gives them and requires them of us. But truly, we dare bring no sacrifices of our own, nor kindle any fire or sparks of our own, but rather wait for the holy breath, spirit, and power of our God, To perform all in us and by us. But now, because we do not pray at certain set times as we formerly did, nor speak words before and after meals as formerly, you are offended with us and say we deny this duty. No, no, we do not deny to God the prayer which is from the immortal birth. But this we say and sensibly feel prayer is a gift and the ability thereof is in God's Spirit. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, nor have we a power in us to pray when or as we will. But in the Holy Spirit, in His breathing in us, is our ability, and we are to wait on Him for the moving and breathing of His Spirit. We are not to pray of ourselves, or in our own wills or times, but in the Father's. Indeed, it is a mighty thing to speak to God aright in prayer. Flesh must be silent before him, and be laid still and low in his presence, so that the pure spring may open, the pure breath breathe, and the pure voice issue forth. For God does not hear sinners, but rather those that are born of him and do his will. Every soul must witness this according to its measure, as Christ witnessed it in fullness. And there is no serving God aright, or performing any duty or ordinance of worship to Him aright, except in a measure of the same life and spirit wherewith Christ served Him. Now, I do not only acknowledge the state of the Jews in their integrity, and of the primitive Christians in theirs, and of what the Lord has caused to break forth in this our day, But I also acknowledge all the appearances of God in the holy martyrs and witnesses which He raised up and enabled to bear testimony to His truth, and against the anti-Christian practices of many, all throughout the night of apostasy. And I also acknowledge all the work of God in my own heart and in the hearts of others in former times. But the Lord has shown me that there is a great mixture in men's desires and endeavors after Him and that the evil spirit, by his subtlety, does often have his way in them, and turn the very zeal and earnestness of the mind, through prejudice and misapprehension, against the Lord and his truth. Now, this is a very dangerous state, and there are some, though unaware, in this state doing that against the Lord and against his Christ, his truth, his people, which, if ever their eyes are opened, they will mourn bitterly over. And if their eyes are not opened, but they continue on in a wrong light, even by a light of their own gathering, imagining and conceiving, where will it lead them? And what will be their end? Oh, that you could hear. Oh, that you could fear aright! Oh, that you could rightly consider. Oh, that you could feel the life and power of the Lord near you, the word of life near you, even as near as you have felt the enemy and his temptations. Then you might partake of and witness with joy the virtue and redemption of this word. Oh, that you could once rightly look upon him whom you have pierced and still daily pierce, and cannot help but pierce until the righteous judgments of the Lord be poured out on the head of the transgressor in you. Then the Lord will be waited upon, feared, And subjected to in the way of his judgments. And you will feel the refining work finished, the dross burned up, the temple prepared, the vessel brought out of the furnace. What then? Why, when the Lord has built up Zion, prepared his temple, cleansed his house, will he not appear there in his glory? Shall it not become a house of prayer, of pure prayer, and of pure praises? Shall there be any lame or blind sacrifices offered up there? Shall it not be the beauty of holiness indeed? Shall not the appearance of the Lord be more glorious than ever it was in the temple and ordinances under the law? Shall not every living stone in this building feel the God of life and power truly present, and feel not only the earth, but the very heavens melt before Him and pass away, and nothing remain? but the pure light and life of the Lamb. Concerning the gospel rest or Sabbath, what is the gospel rest? What is the gospel Sabbath? Is it a shadow, as that of the law was? Or is it the substance of that which the law shadowed out? The law was given by Moses. Moses, by the command of God, gave forth the shadows of the heavenly things under the law. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The true Sabbath, the true rest, the law of the Spirit of life in and to the true Jews comes by Him. The law of Moses had the shadow of the good things to come, which good things themselves the gospel contains, bringing life and immortality to light, and the soul into the enjoyment and possession of the heavenly things themselves the Apostle disputes the case about both of these in Hebrews 4, both about the seventh day of rest and about the land of rest, showing that neither of them were the substance, but were the rests which were to pass away. He shows that besides these there was a rest remaining, a day of rest remaining, a land of rest remaining, of which these two, both the outward Sabbath of rest and the land of rest under the law, were but figures. Now, for whom did this rest remain? Why, it remained for the true Jews, for believers, for the spiritual circumcision in the times of the gospel. And we, he says, who have believed, do enter into rest. The faith gives entrance, the Son's faith, the faith which stands in the power, the faith which is victory and gives victory over sin and the world, which removes the mountains and difficulties which stand in the way and gives entrance into the gospel rest. Faith, which is from and of the power of the endless life, puts sin under, brings down self, gathers man into a new seed, brings man forth in a new seed, causes him to live and act in a new seed, etc. And as man comes here, and that life rises and has power in him, it causes him to rest from his own works and to wait for and experience God in and through Christ to work all and be all in him. The Apostle Peter also speaks of this rest and declares how it is attained, even by suffering in the flesh. He that has suffered in the flesh, he says, has ceased from sin, 1 Peter 4.1. It is the fleshly part, the motions in the flesh, from whence sin arises. Lust, when it is conceived, brings forth sin. Now, Christ has prepared and appointed a cross, a spiritual yoke, to bring down the flesh, which causes great suffering in the flesh to him that takes it upon him. To deny all ungodliness and every worldly lust, motion, desire, and delight of the fleshly mind and nature is a sore suffering to the earthly part. But he that has taken up the cross wholly, and felt the thorough work of it, and suffered in the flesh the parting with and crucifying all that is of the flesh, that which would cause him to sin, comes to be slain in him, and he ceases from sin. Then he is in the rest and he keeps the rest fully. Then he knows the yoke and cross, which was once burdensome to him, to become easy and delightful, that part being worn out in him to which it was painful. Now he that is in measure delivered, that has in measure suffered in this way, finds some rest, and may in some measure keep the Sabbath. Yes, in the faith, the weakest babe abiding there, Cannot help but keep the Sabbath, and offer up the sacrifices, and perform the services thereof to the Lord. For the worship of the new covenant relates not to outward times or days, but is in the Spirit, in the truth, in the name, power, and substance, on the day which the Lord has made, and makes in the spirits of his people. And here that scripture is experienced in those that are born of the Spirit, and live in the Spirit, and walk after the Spirit. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Who are not under the law, but under grace? Why, they that are gathered by the grace, that hear the voice of God in the grace, drawing and enabling them to follow. These are they whom the grace overshadows and protects from the power and dominion of sin. They are under it. They are sheltered, saved, and preserved by it. He that is born of God does not sin, but obeys the grace. But he that commits sin is the servant of sin, and is not yet made free from it by the grace and power of the Son. Yes, the Son gives that freedom in His day from sin and the power of Satan. They that are outside of the light of His day cannot so much as believe, but they that are gathered into and walk in the light of the day. These experience the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, making them free from the law of sin and death. Has not the one stronger than the strong man come? with his law and power of an endless life, shall he not manifest his dominion in the heart over the law of sin and death? Yes, as the law of life is received and let in, it works out, overcomes, bears down, and overruns the law of sin and death. And if God, by the power and breath of his Spirit, with its living and powerful law, kills sin and death in the heart, what shall make them alive again? No, no, then they are dead indeed, and the kingdom and reign of Christ is witnessed in that soul. Then the birth of life is witnessed. Then the man-child is witnessed, ruling with a rod of iron, dashing in pieces all motions and temptations to corruption, and all that would defile, so that they cannot enter the mind." and the mind is guarded in the pure peace, unspeakable joy, and rest of the sun continually. And there it is truly experienced inwardly, as ever it was at any time enjoyed or hoped for by the Jews outwardly, that the Lord's horn of salvation breaks all the horns of the oppressors. He gives rest to the soul from the enemies round about, so that, without fear of them any more, It may serve the Lord in holiness and righteousness all the days of its life. There are some good desires in many people, but there is also great error of judgment and wandering up and down from the truth for lack of that which is able to stay the mind upon the Lord and to guide it in the right way. Some run to this mountain and sacrifice there, others to that hill and offer there, but few know the true resting place or the place of the true worship. Now in these errors, they can witness no acceptance with the Lord. Oh, that they knew the acceptable thing, the acceptable way of worship, and might appear before the Lord there. Then they might begin in that which is substantial, in the gospel spirit, life, and power, and come to inherit and sit down in that which is substantial and everlasting.